Hey there, if you are a specialist of supporting teacher, welcome my friends to another episode of Confessions of a PYP Teacher. I'm Lou Gerlach and this is Confession 53 and this episode is just for you. Sorry for the delay, the past couple weeks have been crazy as I've been preparing for my school's verification visit, but so many wonderful things have happened so it's been all worth it. And now I'm back to help you um, a little bit with research skills. Now, when I'm thinking about research skills, I'm talking about going beyond um, looking in a computer or a book for information. It's a, more about not acquiring the information, but what do we do with it once we have it? And that's something that's really important um, for our learners. If you really examine the ATLs in this area, or examine the ATLs in general, it's always about what do we do once we have acquired information and not to how to acquire it. So it can be labor intensive, it can be cerebral. And I'm gonna tell you when I was a teacher, sometimes I would say, hey kids, let's go research. I didn't teach them how to research. I just said, go research something on the internet about this topic. And then I was able to take it off, yes, I had them research, and it's more than that. If you're a coordinator, you're going to hear some things that are somewhat the same as our last session in elementary. More of the application is going to become when we go into the sub skill. So you might want to um, skip this part. Okay, so if you are a specialist, a supporting teacher, you're going to continue on with me because you haven't heard the other part, right? So we're going to prepare for research. We need to consider what the heck is the purpose for us, for our students, because that right there is so important. And so what can we do to set the stage so that research authentically happens in our room? We are going to plan intentionally. That's key. We're going to plan transdisciplinary and subject-specific inquiries in which students can develop, apply, and reflect on their research skills. That takes intentionality. Provide a range of tools for students to organize their research so that all stages are documented. That's why we evidence the learning in our room with our bulletin boards. All of our wall space is, is student work showing the process of learning. Model academic integrity by providing proper citations and references for materials and ideas that are shared with students. Just like um, I'm gonna do right now, this whole section we're talking about comes from uh, PYP from Principles into the Practice um, in the section of the learner about approaches to learning. We need to share where do we get the information so students don't think that anything out there is theirs. Collaborate with, for example, the librarian and technology specialist so you're not on your own. And support students to build research skills and learn how to identify reliable sources of information. Initially, when I read this list, I had two reactions. Ideas were popping off in my head because that's how I am. But also I was like, ooh, is this gonna be a little overwhelming for teachers um, and coordinators? But you know what? At first, uh, then I said, no, this is obvious, right? We should be focusing more on the 
processes that we're trying to get students to be independent rather than content. And you're going to say, what? But, but if we do the processes right, then the content magically gets taught anyway. And this is what it means to be mindful in teaching the ATLs. So how are we providing a range of tools so students can research on their own and self-select based on their purpose of the inquiry? And when you, as a specialist or supporting teacher, you're trying to get kids to be independent in your area, right? And so how are we doing that? We can do that through the ATLs because they don't apply to any content. We can simply start by utilizing some visible thinking routines in our practice. That even includes PE, where you're doing some engagement and then you have them research, then you know you show them a video about some sort of process about team sports or about fitness. And then you have them do a visible thinking routine as a, as a reflection to connect those things together. It's not that hard. It's just about being intentional so that kids are prepared, A, for the portfolio experience at the end of the year, and also more importantly, that when they are at the end of their PYP experience, they're ready for that exhibition experience. My favorite of all, that's another, another thing. So when we're able to teach these skills, these research skills explicitly, you know, we also need to teach them about where do we get reliable information? In my school district, we have Britannica Online and World Book. Fabulous, because it's, um, it's not only differentiated on reading levels, but it also provides the citing and you just click the copy button and you're good and a bibliography is, um, or we're excited, is created for you. That right there is what we're talking about, right? Make it smarter, not harder. If you don't, then we need to be able to do like an MLA creator. Um, they're everywhere and you type in the book or you type in the article or copy in the web page and bam, it, it cites it for you and you just copy. So either way, right? Because I've used those as well. So what will students be doing during this time? Because, you know, obviously they have to have ownership of the process. So here are some of the sub skills that they're going to be focusing in on. Formulating and planning, <clears throat> data gathering and recording, synthesizing and interpreting, evaluating and communicating, media literacy, ethical use of media information. That's easy, right? So I have decided to zoom in on synthesizing and interpreting. All right. So when we're sort um, sorry, let me back that up. There are two subscale criteria for um, synthesizing and interpreting. And I'm going to focus in on the first one now. It's sort and categorize information, arrange information into understandable forms, such as narratives, explanatory, and procedural writing, tables, timelines, graphs, and diagrams. So this, this subscale is more directed at supporting teachers, right? Uh, who work with special populations. You may be pushing into the classroom experience, and this may be something you consider as you target, you know, certain types of texts. I'll try to provide some examples that are tangible for you, but I've also seen some connections with specialist teachers. So let's start off first with um, what 
how we can support narratives for the supporting teachers, then we'll apply to the specialist. Sounds good? I hope so. So narratives, so supporting teachers. How are we teaching um, the form and structure of narrative text to our students? Are we mimicking what the homeroom teacher is doing about plot diagram? You know, um, are we doing beginning, middle, and end? And that's all we're doing. Because especially with our special population kids, they need more. And so how are we teaching about um, the heart of the purpose of a narrative? How are we examining the language used to create mood in a story? Can we capture events in our mind that give a sense of time and space? How are we capturing voice so that students then, if they recognize voice in a reading text, how then can we have them captured in their writing? Oof. And so how are we going to apply this ideal into art? We can apply these ideas to light and color and shape and texture in order to create the mood that we're trying to evoke. You know, what story are we trying to tell with this piece of artwork that we're creating? You know, let's look at foreign language. What are the words we're putting together to share a story of our experiences? Mm, that sounds good, right? It's creating a narrative. And within the library, how can we examine the various components of narrative through a read aloud experience? So there are ways that some people can connect and it's not limited to, to this list. Now let's delve into explanatory. An information report can be very dry and formulaic at times because that's what explanation is, is explaining information, right? So how can we ignite passion when writing and reading about these texts? You know, one thing that I love to do is utilize a variety of visible thinking routines to really stretch my learners so that they're looking for, not just looking for um, information acquisition, they're looking at analyzing and synthesizing that information um, onto a routine organizer or foldable. We can also use graphic organizers and other visuals to help us sort and categorize information. Literally, the possibilities are endless. And that's for you supporting teachers, right? Because we're trying to um, help our students access the grade level content. And so that is one way that you can do it is through those visible thinking routines. Now, in science lab, how are we explaining information in a meaningful way that's connected to everyday life. Instead of doing an isolated science lesson, which I see all the time, but there's no connection back to the unit and there's no connection back to the student and there's no connection back to the world. How are we making those connections? In music, how are we inviting student curiosity about music and different cultures around the world? How are we explaining the background of where certain types of music comes from and certain rhythm, rhythm patterns? That makes it much more interesting. So now let's look at procedural writing. When setting up this type of text, we can use a lot of visuals, a lot of media to help us sort and categorize that information. 
We can use sequence cards. That's something that a lot of people use. But can we go beyond that, my friends? Of course we can. I think something that's uh, be more powerful is going to the root of why procedural texts are important and how they help us to organize our world. If you think of everything that is done in this world, it's done by a procedure. And there's probably been a text that's been written on how to do that procedure. It's completely about how we organize ourselves, right? And so how do we then apply it to everyday life so that students see that we depend on the system of procedure in order to be organized and orderly? That's where you're gonna get those ahas from them. So can we apply this to technology? How are we explaining certain processes so they're clear, motivating, and fun? So if we're teaching coding, how are we doing that? We're not just saying step one, step two, step three. We're saying, hey, if we do step one, step two, step three, look at what we're going to do. Can you try to up my step one, step two, step three? Can you try to create and innovate on your own? Now you've got them hooked. P.E., what ways do you encourage students to follow directions but make it playful? Possibly allow them say, hey, here's some steps to this type of game. Now create your own steps, create your own game that we're going to play. Now you've got them hooked. Data handling. This last one can be examined by both specialists and supporting teachers because it can be applied to any situation or topic. It's about how we get used the data and get the best results out of our students. Um, here are some ways that I've noticed that we can get specialists to support the learning. PE, you could track the progress of a fitness program through daily graphing in a notebook. Science lab, capture how many trials um, you take through a frequency table, right? Those are just to name a few. But there are so many ways that we can use data authentically in our different roles. So the next sub-skill criteria is use critical literacy skills to analyze and interpret information. I think we've embedded that process all the way throughout. The key is how are we going beyond that factual content and getting students to take more ownership of the learning. That's the ultimate goal. See how agency ties so into all this process. It's embedded to everything. So how are our students researching with a purpose, not only to obtain information, but to understand it and apply it? Because this can only happen when we're teaching them how to do, this, do these things themselves, ask open-ended questions, use a variety of reflection tools and formative assessments, and specific and uh, direct and then getting them to be able to create specific direct instruction that they can share with others. That's how we build independence. So my friends, let's try to use these research skills a little bit deeper this time. The next time we use them with this is we're all in this fight together. And yes, this is pandemic time, but where are we going post-pandemic? That's the key. Have a wonderful day and talk to you soon.